You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noel Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. Later in the program, the Community Justice Response Committee met last night to continue its discussion on the new proposed jail. Several residents spoke out against the proposal during public comment. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. More following today's feature report. But first, your local headlines. At the election board meeting on December 1st, election supervisor Karen Wheeler shared the names of the most recent late CFA4 filings. Okay, so Ashley Perani was one day late. She actually came in on that day at 2.01, but that is considered being a day late. And then Elizabeth Sensenstein was one day late. Also, she came in at 1.23, a little closer to the noon deadline. Judy Sharp was 14 days late. She brought her CFA4 in on November 3rd. Kate Wiltz was three days late. She brought hers in October 23rd. And then Aaron Wyatt was seven days late, October 27th. So those are all done, accepting of the penalties of what you want to assess. Those did not, I believe... None of those have been late previously. Wheeler explained that first-time offenders will not be fined if they attend a meeting and explain why they were late. The second-time offenders also get a warning without a penalty. The third-time offenders are fined 25% of the original penalty, and fourth-time offenders are fined 100% of the penalty, which is a $50 fine for every day a candidate is late to turn in their form up to $1,000. Board member Donovan Garlitz said that they should consider being less generous with the penalty forgiveness. Wheeler agreed with him. Yeah, perhaps for January's meeting, we need to talk about our generosity um, and reevaluate that. Um, because I would I th- agree. I, I think this is three warnings is, yeah. again, I think I said this at the last time we spoke about this, but I didn't have to give kindergartners three warnings when I was a principal. So this is the complete lack of accountability on just a form seems quite wild to me. Um, Take it for what it is. It's one person's opinion, but um, I think we should at least put that on an agenda early in the year to discuss how we're going to deal with this in the future. Um, But that's just me. (laughs) Board president Shruti Rana suggested they consider adopting Marion County's CFA filing rules and asked Wheeler for more information on what Marion County's fines look like. Wheeler said that in Marion County, they give out more fines, whereas in Monroe County, they are much more lenient. She explained she doesn't want to fine people. However, she does want candidates to turn in their forms on time. I don't know. I should have asked. I just know that 
by looking somebody in my office looked them up and they were giving out five hundred and thousand dollar fines pretty readily. So we've only done a thousand dollar fine once in the history of my knowledge. We did do that one, but that person had been late many, many times and they finally got the thousand dollar fine, which he did pay. Um, but this last time in the pre-primary, it just felt like kind of a circus of me going back and forth with these people and they were not responding quickly. They kind of delayed. It would be another month before they'd get back to me and then they won't give me a reason. It, it was like, I am spending a lot of time when all of this, I don't even have to do that part. It's, it's really, you meet the deadline. That's it. You know, you got caught speeding, you pay the penalty. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the pre-primary one that it, it got frustrating to me. And so I do think too, that I, I don't really like having people pay fines, but I just want them to do it, send it into me, bring it to me. I love it when I see everybody has checked off their list and they have filed on time. Rana asked on behalf of an attendee who was listening virtually, what the CFA form is. Wheeler responded. Um, we have a question in the chat, which I thought I could read and maybe Karen could answer. It just says, could you explain what the CFA-4 form is and what candidates are required to do this? So I guess for our listening audience, <laughs> so they know what we're debating. Somebody wants to know what a CFA-4 is. Okay, yeah. It's the campaign finance. Um, what's the A? Act? Campaign finance. We'll call it Act. <laughs> And so when you start up a committee, you have to fill out a CFA one, which designates you having a committee and putting the name of your committee on, having a treasurer, having your bank. You have to have bank um, information that you are going to be supplying the county. And then the CFA four is three times a year. We have a pre-primary and a pre-election and an annual. So one's due in April, one's October, one's January 1st. And it's enabling the public to actually know what the finances have been, what they've done with their finances, where the money has come in, their expenditures, how they've spent it. So it's a detailed explanation of all campaign finances, which is a legal situation, which can get to be pretty big. If, I mean, I don't think we've had anybody using their finances incorrectly that I know of, but we hear about that on the national level more often, but we just want to keep it very clean. And, and that I don't really suspect that going on. I think people just don't see it as important or they just forget. But this is information that the public can see at all times. We posted on our website, the Mount Mineral County website, and you can see who has filled out their CFA4s and when they did it and on time. And then there's another CFA11 that I don't think anyone needed to have one of those done in this election or at this period is if they got a large amount of money, $1,000 or more in the short period right before election so it's not like someone can wait and then just download a bunch of money into a campaign and no one knows that it's there. They have to report that immediately. And so it's just a good check and balance for the uh, community, the public to be able to see what's going on with the candidate campaigns. 
County Clerk Nicole Brown added that the candidates are well prepared to meet the deadlines since the county gives them the information they need ahead of time. She also shared why she believes the deadline should be taken seriously. And if I could dovetail with a couple of things, um, first, it is always, always, always the candidate's responsibility to know those dates. But first, as a courtesy, you prepare a candidate packet and that candidate packet lists the deadlines. Absolutely. And and the fact that it's due at noon, not the end of business day. So they have that packet that they can always go back to with their campaign, um, other campaign things. And then on top of that, as a courtesy, you have reached out to every candidate well in advance of the deadline to let them know the de- remind them of that date that it's due at noon so that by the time it comes before the board as having been late, there have been at least two opportunities mm-hmm. to meet the deadline when we did not have to do that because it is always the candidate's responsibility to meet that deadline and turn that report in. Yes. Exactly. That is that a fair statement. Yes. And so um, it has always been the board's perspective, at least as long as I have been on the board, that we take this seriously, because if you can't report your campaign finance information, how then can the county trust you as a candidate that if you were elected, you would do what you were supposed to do? And I know that my predecessor work to get the uh, these meetings in this room so that it would be taken seriously, televised, and they understand that this is a very serious issue. So when you see the number of candidates in this instance, it appears that those candidates do not take it ser- the deadline seriously. The election board will consider making the deadline more strict and adopting Marion County's model at their next meeting on January 5th. During the December 5th meeting of the Community Justice Response Committee, the joint panel of county and city officials continued their conversation on the new potential jail. Jail Commander Sam Crow said the jail programs are not effective for mental health treatment. He said the community needs to do a better job of providing mental health resources before somebody enters the jail. Well, I think it's already been said in this, um, in these meetings, but jail programs may not be the best thing. You know, I think we need to work on diversion before they come to the jail, especially with mental health. Um, and I think that's a key thing is getting them someplace where they can get the help they need with people that are trained to do it, rather than putting them in jail where they may be delayed getting their medication um, until we can get the records back and things like that. But we also, we receive very little training in mental health. So we're not the people to do training for mental health. That needs to be somebody that's trained. So therefore the diversion pre-arrest County Councilperson Jennifer Crossley agreed, saying the treatment conversation should happen before someone is incarcerated. 
I am glad that we are talking about treatment and shifting our conversation to treatment because I think the biggest thing that, again, as I said before, that we all are wanting to do is how do we get people from coming into the system in the first place? And what are those tools that we need to have put in place for folks to not be or to be diverted from jail before they get there in the first place? Um, so, and looking at the agenda and I had um, suggested a couple of these things. Um, it, somebody just said here a few minutes ago that, you know, sometimes we have a three month waiting period for those that are going into treatment facilities and with everything that's going on with mental health, substance use, a lot of other things, we understand that, you know, the, the problem is very dire and severe. So I'm putting, you know, my council hat on as the financial body of the county. And I'm thinking in terms of, you know, the funding that we have with ARPA, how do we use some of that funds that we have been given from the federal government to make sure that we are, you know, using those appropriately as a boost to help. And so one of the things that I think that we can do is use um, a, a nice amount of ARPA funds to go to some of these treatment facilities uh, which is listed, you know, New Leaf, New Life, Sober Living, and other places as well. But I also think that most importantly, the biggest thing in terms of treatment facility is before we move forward with any of this, we all have our, our somewhat knowledgeable of those things. But I would really think that it would be nice in future meetings to have those that are part of those um, particular treatment facilities and whatnot be a part of the discussions where they can educate us further uh, so that we understand you know, what is, what is needed, not just what we are assuming what is truly needed. As we had heard from past meetings, and I have my notes here on my computer and lots of notes um, all over the place here, people keep talking about, you know, being severely underfunded. And that seems to be the biggest issue is um, how do we get those uh, organizations to not be so severely underfunded, but to be funded so that they can help a lot more and we don't have the weights and, you know, different types of things like that. So I think that is the biggest thing. And then I also agree with Kate in terms of housing. Um, housing is justice, um, you know, transitional halfway um, housing for people in the process of getting back to their feet and being rehabilitated. And then, of course, most importantly, being able to work with probation. Um, those are the biggest things in terms of treatment that I would see. Next, Commissioner Jones transitioned to discussion on jail design and construction following the negative recommendation to rezone the Fullerton Pike site by the Plan Commission. Well, we obviously have not got anywhere with the jail design. Um, I think, as I said before, we're now trying to get on the city council's agenda for the rezone for the land that we're purchasing. And um, we are hoping to get that done by the end of the year. At the same time, we're trying to make arrangements to, we have a purchase agreement that we would buy it by the end of the year. And we're trying to get that extended just in case things don't move that quickly. Monroe County Commissioner Julie Thomas confirmed that the Fullerton Pike rezone was not included on this week's city council agenda, further delaying the rezone initiative. During public comment, Care Not Cages supporter Max Smith said that he has reservations about building a new facility. 
He said the community should better fund resources we already have rather than constructing a new facility. Um, my name is Max Smith, and uh, I'm here for several reasons. I'm here with to support um, Care Not Cages. Um, a little bit about me, I'm slowly incarcerated. Um, I think I had the record at the jail for a while for most consecutive days. Um, I'm also a contractor. Um, I was on the board of New Leaf for a few years. Um, so I'd also like the conversation about um, getting to people before they become incarcerated. And I personally believe that a lack of sense of community is why people for a number of reasons become incarcerated. Um, mental health issues. Um, I'd like us to think more about instead of building a new facility, think about how we can use what we have. Um, new Leaf, New Life is uh, one of the few not-for-profits that has managed to not get entangled in the criminal justice system. And for that reason, people, you know, who struggle, trust them. And, you know, that's not the case with Centerstone and uh, some of the other, um, even Amethyst House and some of the other places that provide um, care for people, but are also woven into the government system. And so all those things together, to me, it makes more sense to figure out how to to let the people who have been doing this work for years and who um, know, I mean, cops are do what they, you know, are supposed to do. They're not social workers and the jail does what it's supposed to do, you know, um, hold people until their fate is determined. Um, social work is not something that either of those um, either, either of those things should do. Um, so, and to me, I, I've been in that jail. I, I know, I know every inch of it. Um, I know Colonel Crow pretty good. <laughs> uh, that I think $20 million would make that place a much better place and serve more people. There's a lot of wasted space in there. Um, we talk about $70 million for a facility to basically better house more people that we could spend a lot less money and let the community do what the community needs to do, which is, you know, figure out how to, um, how to make people feel like they own part of their community instead of um, being marginalized. And, and uh, that's, that's all I have, but I've, I hope this committee will think more about those type of things. And, and I hope this isn't a, on a rail to a $70,000 um, place to just put more people. Um, that's not going to solve any of our problems. Maggie, another representative of Care Not Cages, explained she has serious concerns of combining mental health and the criminal justice system. Hi, my name is Maggie. Um, I'm also with Care Not Cages, which is a group make up, made up of local residents who understand how damaging jail is and how important it is to make sure that the fewest possible members of our community have to spend time there. Um, and I mean, I think an obvious question that many others have asked and that I, I believe I've asked before is why there isn't an itemized list of specifically all of the problems in the jail and what 
that would cost to fix them. You know, the Ken Ray report does list 53 problems and a lot of them are very broad um, and sort of just imply a, a need for expansion, like lack of repair rooms and et cetera. And then some of them are actually very specific and seem as if very easy fixes like graffiti on the walls and broken lights. Um, and so I don't understand why there hasn't been that estimate and that we're already jumping towards building a new jail. Um, and I just want to be really clear, you know, I really appreciated like the 40 minute focus on treatment today from you all. Um, I will say that like from some of you all, it just felt very performative. Um, and I, I just think coupling mental health and treatment with incarceration is just, it doesn't make sense. Um, jails around the country have just taken on this mental health and gender positive rebrand to justify incarceration expansion, especially since the George Floyd uprising. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter if the cages are painted a calm blue color or if there's murals on the wall. I mean, and to, and to say, you know, that, that those things like are, will help people get better is just absolutely crazy. Like they're in a cage. Um, so I would just, the primary purpose of jail is punishment, control, and surveillance. And this is just completely antithetical to mental health treatment and, and substance abuse goals. So I just really, really want to be clear about that. Um, your argument is weak. And not only is this antithetical to treatment goals, but it's also reinforcing mental health as a criminal matter, you know, by like sticking these two together. So I, yeah, I, I don't understand like the purpose of this committee because you're kind of like talking about treatment, but none of you are, most of you aren't really involved in treatment in this town. And I mean, I appreciated Jennifer Crossley's like comment today of just like bringing in those people. Um, and then, yeah, you're just also planning a jail. So it's it it doesn't make sense, um, in my opinion. So thank you. The Community Justice Response Committee will meet again at 4.30 p.m. on Monday, December 19th, on the third floor of the Monroe County Courthouse. The committee allows for public comment toward the end of the meeting. Up next, we have Lil Bub's Little Show, a production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Today's featured pet is Sierra. Shelter staff describe Sierra as a petite potato full of love and snuggles. She is happiest when she has a lap to curl up on while she gets her back scratched. She seems to be house trained and goes potty right away when it's her turn to visit the yard. Sierra likes tennis balls and chew toys. 
She is also working on crate training and does very well relaxing in an office with free range. She is not so good with small animals like cats and small dogs, and she has consistently been dog reactive in a kennel environment. However, she has shown us that out of her kennel, she can be very responsive to her handler and ignore other dogs. Though we think she needs to be an only dog at this time, we feel her reactivity is very manageable. Sierra is patiently awaiting her forever home and is available for adoption from the Bloomington Animal Shelter today. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. On today's episode of Lil Bub's Lil Show, we're going to be talking about finding a companion animal ethically. There are many ways to find and adopt a pet, from Craigslist ads, mall pet shops, shelters, rescues, and animal breeders. But not all sources are equal in terms of pet care and ethical standards, and it's important to consider your options before bringing home a new pet. While it may be tempting to purchase a pet from a pet shop or Craigslist, our advice is to always check with your local shelter first. If you're after a specific breed or type of cat or dog, there's likely a rescue that specializes in what you're looking for. At the Bub Fund, we firmly believe you should adopt, not shop, for your pet. And that means always checking with shelters and certified rescues first. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB. Produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Lil Bub's Lil Show is produced by Stacey Bradovsky and Christine Brackenoff. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. 
Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 